Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the Dapper Don Podcast. It is your boy, Dapper Don Dez. Man, today we're going to talk about everything that you see in hip-hop, everything that uh, that's moving and shaking in the culture, as we do every time around this time. And we're going to get into that boy, Rick Ross and Gilly the Kid. They got words back and forth. Uh, we're going to talk about this NBA young boy not guilty in his L.A. gun charge. We're going to uh, talk about not only his case, but also rappers' lyrics being used in court. Now, you know I like to stay out of shooters' business. That's a, a rule of mine. But, you know, I felt like I had to touch on this because it's such uh, an interesting case of how they use lyrics and is it right or wrong. So we're going to get in that and just honestly got to talk about Young Thug and his Rico charge. I want to also talk about this boy T Pain. Pain is uh Pain is in the news. He's making hot takes and he's making it easy for us content creators. And but most importantly, man, most importantly, if you wherever you listen to this podcast at Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever I put it up at, be sure to give it a thumbs up, give it a good ratings, leave a review, man. It really helps me get seen. It really helps me get my name out there but you know we're gonna get into it man the first one that i feel like i have to speak on is the rick ross and the gilly the kid issue not because it's a pressing one or not that it's even one that i think is all that serious but it is one that i feel like we can learn a lot from so basically the boy rick ross is having is uh is on instagram now more public than ever i don't know if it's to create a bigger reach for itself or to be able to, you know, reach uh, uh, reach a younger demo. But ultimately he's on the gram, he's showing his wealth, he's cutting grass, he's having grass shows, not grass shows, he's having car shows on his lawn. Like that just lets you know how big of a lawn he has. Um, And he's really out there, but he decided to comment on uh, I guess what Gilly the Kid calls the wrong post to comment on. So just to throw it back to you, Gilly the Kid was uh, at Jackson State talking to the kids. You know, he's big in the sports. He's he's really hitting, making his rounds, him and Wallow. He says while at Jackson State, Little Wayne was there. And according to Gilly the Kid, when Little Wayne saw Gilly, he was looking nervous and frightened and scared. You hear me? He said he was shooken. The minute he got a chance, he got up out of there. He ain't want no problems with Gilly. He ain't want nothing with the Philly bomber. Uh, the king of Philly, that's what he calls him, king of Philly. Well, anyway, I guess Gilly, uh, uh, Gilly told his side of the story, how he felt it happened. And then uh, a long-time affiliate, Mac Main, a long-time affiliate of Gilly the Kid, not get a kid of Lil Wayne. Matter of fact, I believe like something like the president of Young Money Records. Anyhow, he posted a video showing that Gilly walked in at Jackson State. He was like peeking through the doorway. Wayne had him and like all his security and all his guys around him. Wayne stepped from stepped from where he was at to the doorway and dabbed Gilly the kid up. And Gilly just walked off and left. And to see what Gilly said story happened versus what actually happened was so interesting, right? And I was like, wow, they just exposed Gilly. Because Gilly has this whole thing with Lil Wayne, which goes so far back that he says he wrote the Carter One. And that, uh, and now I'm questioning that. I'm questioning, did you really write a Carter One? 
because it seems like he has this obsession with Lil Wayne. It does come off as if like it's this. I don't know if he feel like Wayne ended his career before it even got started, but whatever the case is, if you work with Gilly the Kid, you will eventually be the wrath of his. Uh, uh, I mean, Wayne didn't even have any say. Wayne didn't even have any pull or control. I don't know if he's saying it was baby or what, but anyway, you know, Gilly, you know, Gilly and his feelings, Gilly wilding, but Ross decided to comment in the comment section and say he's a fraud. I guess Gilly Kid felt like Ross should be calling anybody a fraud in his mind. So of course, this guy back to Gilly the Kid, and while doing while doing an interview with our Southside, this uh uh hip hop producer Southside, he's done a lot of records. He did uh he did Kodak Black's Tunnel Vision. I'm really feeling that one. I'm really feeling that one. While interviewing with Southside, he threw shots at Ross, calling him a CEO, saying, why would he buy a cow or something like that? Because he did buy a buffalo. He did buy, like, all kind of crazy stuff. And and just his clapback seemed like it was, it, you know, it, to me it was super lighthearted. I didn't feel like either one of them really roasted each other that well. But then Ross double backs and goes on his Instagram and says he spends more money on his cow's hooves than, I guess, assumingly Gilly spends on his wife and kids. But ultimately, the, the back and forth doesn't so much seem to be something that I don't think any one of them is taking too serious. Gilly then went on Instagram and he had a whole post. I think he had like a whole three-minute roast session uh, of Ross saying how Ross lives in a hood and how uh you know how he didn't have to get money to get his wife which was i mean kind of is a funny line if you think about it because ross did date uh who, who the one girl laura galore yeah he definitely dated shorty i'm like all right i wouldn't have that wasn't no move i would have made but you know whatever anyway so i think what this really boils down to is ross feeling like he he seems to feel like he has to be Lil Wayne's protector. I don't know what's up with this. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I'm like, what does it that makes Ross feel like he has to, you know, stick his neck out? Now, mind you, this was some pretty damning evidence that Lil Wayne wasn't like this chump that Gilly tried to make him out the scene. You know, because Gilly really tried to make it seem like, man, I chomped Wayne up. I showed Wayne who was the man, like, and that wasn't how it went, but I don't see where Ross felt. It was, you know, I don't feel like he's spoken on how this was his place. The same with, thing with the Birdman situation. I don't see how he came to feel like this was his place. But I did see a short from uh, from Birdman. Birdman was talking about, you know, he was, he was popping his ish like he usually do. And he was talking about, man, Ross was soaking up my sauce, uh, something like, no, no, peeping my sauce. <laughs> what did he say? It was kind of player how he said it, though. He said it like an old head. And Birdman was just talking about, you know, how Ross studied up under him for years. And you can see a lot of, you know, I can see a lot of baby in what Ross does. I can see a, especially that drawing all over his face. I don't know what, I don't know why he started doing that in his 30s. I think he started doing that in his 30s or his 40s. I'm like, come on, my man. I don't, I don't know if this will look. I don't know if this is a good look, but you know, we all got different ways of expressing ourselves and what we are into. Uh, 
I feel Gilly, if it wasn't Ross's place to speak on it, then why are you speaking on it? You know, if, if I didn't ask you and nobody was talking to you, and uh, excuse me, sir, mind your business. I think so. I think so. But you know, Ross is Ross ain't wrong though. Gilly does seem like he has an obsession over Little Wayne. It does seem like he has, and Ross is gonna start a podcast. That's decent. I mean, that's always a good thing. People say it's too many hip hop podcasts. Honestly, I don't feel like there's enough. Like I try to keep my podcast niche to Southern hip hop because I don't think there's enough of an outlet for it. We used to have the Ozone. That was super exciting when I would, you know, thumb through it and I would see artists that I actually listen to. Because when you look at hip hop uh, podcasts, it's like, oh, let's talk about 90s R&B for the thousandth time. Not R&B, 90s hip hop for the thousandth time. And I'm like, I'm, bro, I'm good on that. Well, I want to talk about the artists I actually listen to. I listen to Ross. I listen to Jesus. I listen to T. I listen to Wayne. I listen to Flies. I listen to Boost. And I listen. This is the stuff that I like. So, you know, I don't never think there can be too many podcasts. I would love to hear. Hopefully, he's talking business. He's talking, you know, bossing up. Because I actually bought his book, A Great Day to Boss Up, man. And uh, hopefully, he's talking that boss talk if he's going to do it. I don't think if you have millionaires willing to sit down every week and show you their thought processes, their reason why. And it ain't nothing but a blessing. I got to get that round of applause, man. That ain't nothing but a blessing. If they're going to do that, hopefully it ain't just a whole, whole bunch of nonsense. Nori changed the game. Nori changed. He showed you that this podcast thing was big business. Joe Rogan showed you it was big business, man. It, it's it's popping. It's popping. But on to the next on, on to the next one. Let's talk about this NBA young boy. Now, I don't oftentimes keep up with a lot of things that NBA Youngboy does or what all he's really into. But what I can say for sure is that uh, NBA Youngboy is the man and with the plan when it comes to these youngsters, man. Every time I turn around, it seems like that's what they listening to. I walk to the gas station. They got NBA Youngboy playing. I, I, go, I go to the grocery store, NBA Youngboy. I go to uh, Golden Corral. They got Never Broke Again t-shirts on at the Golden Corral. I'm not lying to you, man. This young man seems to have all the pools. He has all the touch, and he's got to go in touch with the youth, man. Uh, I can't say that I really get it, but I'm not going to say I'm not with it. Louisiana has always had a, had a strong connection to the streets. You understand? A real strong connection. When I was growing up, it was Soldier Slim. You remember Soldier Life mentality? I remember listening to Soldier Life Mentality like, wow, I didn't know you could say this kind of stuff. Um, I'll pay for it. Ball and chill. Come on, Soldier Slim was the man. Uh, uh, Soldier, not Soldier, Hurricane Chris, he had a run. He had a little A-Bay-Bay. Come on, you remember A-Bay-Bay? That was, I had just got to the club. This was 2007 that came out. I had just got into the club when I was 18. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, so much, man. So much has happened. So much is his uh, happened with Louisiana. And I think he's just another extension of that, man. Uh, another reason to show. Matter of fact, Birdman was outside the courts when NBA Youngboy, I believe, was found not guilty. They had fans chasing NBA Youngboy. But yeah, they was, uh, I believe he was found not guilty on his LA charge. Now, the charge that's really got him stuck, I think, is the one from Louisiana. But the L.A. charge, not only that, I think he took him on like a high-speed chase. He ended up in somebody else's backyard. Like, this dude is 
this dude is living like the Hunger Games, and he has millions of dollars, millions of dollars allegedly, has millions of dollars. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you the story because I know you thinking to yourself, ain't no way in hell this dude a multi-platinum rapper. And he's okay. He keeping the F in with him. He keep the Glock with him. I get all of that. You take cops on a highway speed chase. You get out. You run. You crouch in the backyard. They no. They they found you in your neighbor's backyard hiding. Not only do you get taken into custody alive already, you know, for the cops. You know, when I was growing up, uh, uh, my, my father's from Atlanta. And he was like, man, you make the red dogs chase you. They gonna beat the hell out of you. And I was like, well, he got all of that. He made it back alive. You know, we got four black people getting gunned down for next to nothing. You getting caught with a FN in your car. I don't know if you know what a FN is, but that's a pretty powerful weapon, man. That ain't just something you pull out on no to go duck hunting. He gets he gets arrested, not with that. They get arrested. When uh when they pull his car over, they find the F in, in the car under the seat. So anyway, I think he spanked that charge. This is LA County. I think he spanked that charge. You know, you ain't supposed to have no gun in LA like that. But once again, uh money buys your way out of a lot of things, man. So uh, essentially what happened was when after they pulled him over, they found the F in under his car. Now what what he ended up doing, the federal judge ended up he ended up getting a big win. So the federal judge said that they can't use lyrics from his song uh, Gunsmoke, Life Support, or Lonely Child. I guess these were songs where he referenced that FN. But here's my thing. If you're going to use a rapper's lyrics, then a rapper should be able to use other rapper's lyrics in courts in exchange. Meaning like he says, okay, yeah, I rap by FNs, but I can show you this thousands of rappers who's rapped about this exact same gun and you should force the jury to sit down and listen to every rap song that rapped about the exact same thing you rapped about to show that this is just a trend in the culture and this is just something you know this is what's popular now when we were growing up it was a chopper then it became the draco now everybody's fn crazy whatever you know works for them they just really gonna pick what rhymes chopper rhyme with a lot of stuff drake Draco sounds like Drake. Drake's the hardest rapper. You see how this kind of stuff gets popular, right? It's more about the name. Most of us know the name of a gun before we can actually point it out in a lineup. You ask the average person what a Draco is, they're going to tell you it's a rifle. You tell them point out a Draco, I don't think most of us can even point one out and say, oh, that's a Draco. So the, the fact that they're trying to say that because he has songs that has lyrics where he's speaking on having an F in, that means that automatically the FN that was found in his car was his. Well, that does stand to reason, but that's in the court of law where you're supposed to have, uh, uh, you know, logic and reasoning. They say that you can't use those lyrics in court. And in as much as and we talk about a lot of rappers where they get to use the rapper's lyrics in court, and we think that it's just for free fall. But a lot of these judges actually have been more sympathetic than I think they've been given credit for when it comes to actually uh, what they allow the prosecutor to bring in the trial. When I was reading up on Boosie's case, LaBoosie, who was also arrested on, uh, no, he was arrested on weed charges, but they tried to try him for a murder. The, mur uh, the murder of Terry Boyd in 2009. I remember when, I remember hearing about this not only that but they said he was connected to at least 10 other murders but uh the the court the prosecutor 
the judge in the case told the prosecutor, you can't use all of his song. He said you can only use one line of his song, and you can also use certain slang he used, such as murk, which means to be murdered, and cake, which means money. So saying that you can only describe what those words means, and you can only use a certain line that says, uh, any N-word that played with me is dead now. They got to use that one line, but they couldn't use the song was called 187. They couldn't play the entire song in court and they couldn't read the line, the song line for line. They could only use that one bar and explain what certain slang means whenever he uses it in his music. This is what they mean when they say he used his lyrics against them in court. I thought they were just having a free fall, bringing whatever he said in the court, but it's a very fine line when you're stomping on the, uh, on the free rights of people. The Washington Post talked about it and they said how this was most likely being used against young men of color whose lyrics was being used against them in court. And this is the same thing that's happening with Young Thug in his Rico case. Um, and to Rico and, uh, and wife and Lucci. So this is just such a, a commonplace thing where they're using the lyrics against them they're using the songs and, and the lyrics against them but there's some who not just them um takashi 69 lyrics was used against them snoop dogs here lyrics was used against them and it's so interesting for having the thing that brought you into fame and money now be what they try to use to condemn you and tear you down um i think it's also a slippery slope when you start using public figures words against them because now how far it starts off with rappers then what it goes to other musicians does it goes to activists does this also go to uh, uh public speakers does it go oh, to pastors does it go into religious leaders does it go to politicians and what line are you allowed to use someone a public figure's words against them if it's used in the state of uh, you know way of entertainment like if you was on a wiretap and you said every n-word that tried to play against me uh uh go against me is dead well, yeah, that's that's a pretty shut uh, closed case conviction. But as rap, we do have to give them some artistic licensing. Although I'm not gonna sit here and act like that. I believe you're innocent. I think everything you said was absolutely true. That you, that's how you live, but that's how people around you live. But the court of law has to, it has to draw the line in, at some degree, at some capacity. The court of law has to have some kind of unbiased filter when it comes to uh convicting because you convicted somebody this one particular instance is one arrest and the thing that uh nba young boy legal team said that really resonated crazy with me was they said that you're trying to use songs that was made before he even before the effing that you were claiming in his was even purchased so how could he make a song about an event about an arrest that hadn't even happened yet about a purchase that hadn't even happened yet the songs weren't about his lifestyle it wasn't about this particular arrest they they have to prove that he was riding through la with this effing in the back of his car knowingly they can't say oh well he know that's how he rolls in louisiana they gotta prove in this one case and does those lyrics help prove that in this case it's true and it doesn't at least that's what a judge can assume um it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Of course, there's people who go to law school to explain this to you. I just want to really talk about the, is this a violation of freedom of speech or not? That, that's it.
And that's all I, I really uh, wanted to touch on with that. Boy, just to end on a lighthearted note, man, because we already here talking about Boosie. We already here talking about lyrics. We here talking about songs. So we got to talk about T-Pain. T-Pain has gone on a tear. T-Pain is wild. T-Pain has decided that he himself is going to correct uh, hip-hop and let it be known. If Tupac was alive today, he would lyrically get eight. He would lyrically get eight. I think T-Pain feels as if that lyrics nowadays are more intricate than they were at the time Tupac rapped his lyrics. Um, okay, well, 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 before I get into my opinion, let's get into Boosie Badass's opinion. So Boosie turns around and says, but he clearly disagrees. He's the hugest Tupac fan. He even dropped an album called Boopac where he says the lyrics that that they say nowadays don't resonate the same with people and that's a fact that that's actual and factual i can't think of especially when everybody's talking about the same trendy things when when you look at he's basically says so boosie basically says when you look at at our two parts lyrics they're more heartfelt they're more you know they speak to your soul if you haven't been through the struggle you're not going to truly understand him I, and honestly, I agree. I agree. When you look at uh, one of those Heaven Have a Ghetto, that is such a powerful record. That is easily one of the most powerful records, I think. Um, I think that was, was like a remake. I don't, I don't think that was something he originally did. But from Picture Me Rolling to Smile to Dear Mama to... Bro, it's just it's so much when you look at what his lyrics have, how his lyrics has inspired it's more poetry and Payne said that, he, that he's more of a poet than actual lyricist but you gotta remember he went at one of the most lyrically clever brothers that was shout out to the big you know but i don't i don't think i don't agree with Payne on that i don't believe he's gonna lyrically get eight i think Pac had a delivery and a flow and an aggressiveness in his voice that made you believe every single word he said i believe if Pac was 50 years old yeah you're right because you look at Eminem, his words are still intricate, but the passion ain't really there. The fire really ain't there as much. And I think it's the same thing with Pac. It would have just been he would have got older. It's just kind of how life works. But he was a prolific thinker. And as far as him, uh, his flow and his delivery would have been more than enough. His first class, the way he thought about the world, the way he was able to tell a story. I remember, and, and this reminds me of the reason why I wanted to bring this up. Because this reminds me of when I was in the studio, right? So I was recording a song, and I was lyrically spitting, dog. I'm talking about I'm tearing this record up. Because, you know, I, I, I do rap. I definitely rap a lot more back in the day. But, you know, after, like I said, after I turned 30, I kind of just really fell back more into my podcasting. But, you know, I still got it. You know, I still, still got it in my heart to rap. But I was in there, and I was tearing it up, man. Uh, I forget what song this was. I think it was like you heard me a ticket chasing, but I was tearing the beat up. I'm I'm throwing in multi-syllables. I got metaphors. It's it's really intricate and lyrical. And, and the flow was good. I had everybody head bobbing. But one of the most important things happened, and I never forget this happening. And I won't I want you to forget this. An old man was sitting in a corner. 
an old brother, man, looked like a player, let me tell it. He had his glasses on. He was leaning a little bit. He said, young blood, let me talk to you. I get close to him. I'm like, what's up, my man? Now, this is on 45th and Avenue B. We in the hood. This is like, you feel me? We in the trenches recording. But, you know, this is where this is where some of the best talent comes from, too. So, you know, it was an old head. Now, I just, of course, you know, he's going to give me words of wisdom. I lean in to listen. He says, I want to tell you what you recorded in there was bullshit. Input what you recorded in there was bullshit. Everybody else listened to it. Yeah, this is lyrically fire. He said, people like to hear stories. People like to hear stories. They want to hear stories that, you know, that that fit with, with a persona. He was talking about, you know, you could rap about like being this pimp and you got three women in his Cadillac. And when they see you, they can be like, oh, those are three women he was rapping about. He's basically talking about creating a story, creating... Sometimes it can become gimmicky, but ultimately they tell you stories sell products. Stories sell products. You say he's gonna lyrically eat them. I believe Lil, I believe Lil Wayne is a lyrical genius, but Lil Wayne never went diamond because he never had a story to sell you. He never really told like a great story. And I think Pac had amazing stories. Even these are stories he didn't live. If I was gonna critique anything about Pac, I would say. Kids nowadays would press Pac more. Pac was a, you know, Pac was a, a high head. Pac was willing to throw bowls. He wasn't no punk. He was even willing to let his gun clap. But you can't, nowadays, it's so many people false flagging. There's so many people joining Bloods at 16, 17 years old. That would have got called out. That didn't get called out in Pac's day. Pac didn't move to California until he was 17. He wasn't raised in LA. He grew up in the Bay Area. Um. That's like, that's like Master P claiming West Coast when he grew up in New, uh, New Orleans, but he moved to the West Coast at a fairly young age. But once you start claiming gangs and once you start gang, but he signed this, but uh, uh, Pac signed to Suge Knight and Suge Knight was a blood. So I guess he felt like, okay, now I'm tied in with, you know, a real deal, real screw. You feel me? I think kids would call him out more about that. I think nowadays... Because he rapped about a lot of stuff that didn't happen to him. He says, I, I've been crazy ever since I lost my mama. Mind you, his mother passed away in like 2017. His mother outlived him easily by over 20 years. Easily over 20 years. Um, It might have been 2016. But that's still because he died in 96. So, yeah, it's still 20 years. But anyway, man... uh. I, I disagree with uh with, with T Pain. I don't think Pac would be lyrically eight, but I think no, because I'm looking at uh, uh I'm looking at Kendrick Lamar. I don't think you get a Kendrick Lamar if you don't get a Tupac. I don't think you get a lot of things you don't get a Tupac. There's a lot of people who are lyrically great, like the game. There's a, I think time would have just naturally moved on. You can't really play those same songs because it's gonna sound repetitive because once you do something everybody else starts doing it once everybody else starts doing it when we see you do it for the first time we're like oh this is regular everybody was telling me how great uh rakim sweat the technique was but to me if i say rakim sweat the technique and i go listen to it i'm like well this sounds like regular rapping the thing i'm not getting is that when he made sweat the technique he changed the way you rap now that's just what rap sounds like it's sweat the technique but imagine how amazing that must have sounded the first time you heard it it was one of those, you just got to be that kind of thing. I think that's what Tupac was, just a you got to be that kind of thing. 
I was, you know, blessed enough to be about six or seven when he passed. I was seven. I was seven when he passed. You know, I was in the second grade. So I wasn't, I did always, pop did always go over my head, but I didn't, but I knew it was prolific. I knew it was a big deal and I knew he was killing it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Pac, man, shout out to T-Pain. T-Pain is a great songwriter, great singer, but just like if I put on T-Pain right now and everybody hear auto-tune, they're going to be like, yeah, what about it? Everybody does auto-tune. Yeah, but you had to be there. You had to be there when Pain first did it. Man, it's a beautiful thing. But anyway, I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to leave it right there, man. As always, we do this Dapper Don podcast thing every time around this week, every every Sunday. Every Sunday, come here. We're going to have your Dapper Don podcast ready and ready to go. And to the end, it is your boy Dapper Don Dez. I am out.